You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. king would rule with an iron fist. Their Messiah would take away the oppression that would give peace and tranquility to the entire nation. Well, he will. Make no mistake about it. He will. But the scripture speaks of two messiahs. The first one is the suffering messiah, which Jesus fulfilled perfectly when he returns again on that beautiful white horse. And when we come with him, believe me, he will take names and he will conquer all. God is long-suffering and full of grace, and that can be seen in how Jesus first came as a suffering servant to save mankind. Today, Pastor Dave will be reminding you that there will be a time when Jesus returns, and He won't be coming as a suffering servant, but as a triumphant King. He will right every wrong because He is righteous. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 12 as he begins his message, Who Has Believed Our Report? You are John chapter 12, verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, John's speaking of Jesus now, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. I stopped into my favorite bookstore, and as was a habit that I have, I went right to the religion section or the religious section. And while I was looking through a bunch of books to see which one might appeal to me, I came across a Jewish study Bible. It was a Jewish study Bible. So as I picked it up, I was kind of leafing through it, and I thought to myself, I wonder what they have to say about Isaiah 53. What's their take on Isaiah 53? So I turned to Isaiah 53, and as I looked at it, there wasn't a lot of commentary there. There wasn't a lot of commentary there, except this one thing stood out to me. This one thing stood out to me, and it said, quote, this is a very difficult passage, unquote. And I thought about that. I said, difficult for whom? What do you mean it's difficult? Why would it be so difficult? Well, you remember, we've been discussing the cross, and we've been discussing that because the Jews have been uncomfortable with a suffering Messiah that would go to a cross, they don't believe. They can't believe that their Messiah would go to a cross because of what the cross stands for. Deuteronomy says he who was hung on a tree was cursed. How can the Messiah be of God and be cursed? This was what their thinking was. This was what their religiosity was telling them. This is they were so hung up on this one thing. Their Messiah would be king would rule with an iron fist. Their Messiah would take away the oppression that would give peace and tranquility to the entire nation. Well, he will. Make no mistake about it. 
He will. But the scripture speaks of two messiahs. The first one is the suffering messiah, which Jesus fulfilled perfectly. When he returns again on that beautiful white horse, and when we come with him, believe me, he will take names, and he will conquer all. You know, a lot of people are uncomfortable with the cross. If I was to stand up here this morning and talk about the manger and the cuddly little baby, a lot of you would, ooh, and ah, love the baby. But as soon as I mention the cross, something else happens. Something else happens when I mention the cross and its cruelty and how bad it is. I know that many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ, that movie that depicted what happened those days. And it was quite cruel. And I believe that that picture made by Mel Gibson didn't even come close to what actually happened to Jesus Christ. I think it was so much more horrible, so much more intense than what we could ever imagine. But Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Amen. We studied last week that Jesus now has made one final plea to the men who is before him. He gave them a great opportunity to believe upon him. He told them that, I'm not going to be around much longer. You're not going to have the light with you much longer. The light is quickly fading, and I'm going to be leaving. So they needed to believe while the light was still here. And if they didn't believe while the light was still here, they would be left in darkness, and they would stumble, and they would fall. Jesus knew time was running out. Jesus knew that the cross now was not only days away, it was hours away. It became a matter of life and death. It became a matter of life and death. So now as we come to this section of the Gospel of John, it appears that John just stuck it in there. It's parenthetical, a big word. You might as well put parenthesis around it. It's as if John added it. Now remember, John is giving everything after the fact many years after the fact. So he puts this parentheses around this section to give us clarity, to, to give us clarity so we might know what's happening here. And the key word in this section is believe. John wanted to explain the further division between those who believed and those who were stuck in unbelief. And he explains the unbelief of the people in three different ways. Those who would not believe those who could not believe, and those who cannot believe. He explains it in three different ways. So as we look to verses 37 and 38, he talks about those who would not believe. But although he, now he's talking of Jesus, he here is Jesus, he, although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed a report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It seems quite illogical to the Apostle John that these people would not believe in Jesus Christ. After all they've seen, after all they've heard, they didn't believe in him. They couldn't make the connection for somehow. Gee, John, if you remember when we at the beginning, John recorded Jesus turning the water to wine the cleansing of the temple, the healing of the nobleman's son at a distance, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, 
the feeding of the 5,000, stilling the Sea of Galilee, opening the eyes of the blind man who was born that way, raising Lazarus from the dead. So many things that Jesus did before the people. Even the other three Gospels record various miracles and things that Jesus did that are not recorded in the Gospel of John. In fact, take a quick turn to John chapter 20 real quick. We'll get there someday. John writes this in John chapter 20, in beginning in verse 30. And he writes this, and he kind of sums up the entire gospel. He said, in verse 30, he says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John's saying, he did an awful lot of things, folks, an awful lot of things that it would take an enormous book to fill. And probably you couldn't even fill all the books when you look at Jesus' work. But they didn't believe. They would not believe. How many things did Jesus say about himself? Well, so many. He told them where he was coming from. He told them who was his father. And then he described himself as the great I am. Remember, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And all these statements that Jesus made were extremely radical. They were radical statements to the hearers because what they did was they forced them to have an opinion about who he was. Jesus was forcing the issue to these people that they had to make a decision. We have to make a decision also. We have to make a decision. You either believe in Jesus Christ or you do not believe in Jesus Christ. There is no gray area. I'm undecided. No, you're decided. There is no gray area. You either believe or you do not believe. But for the most part, the Jews believed in him not. Seeing miracles of themselves does not make believers. Why? Because one miracle doesn't satisfy us. I've told you this before. I'm the kind of guy who would say to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to believe it, write it in the sky. And some plane would come by and write it in the sky, and I'd go, now turn it pink. You know, I wouldn't be satisfied with one miracle. That's the way we are. We wouldn't be satisfied. So seeing a miracle doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be saved. You want your people to see miracles. We want our friends to see miracles. But that doesn't necessarily mean they will be saved. We don't know why these people, these Jews, wouldn't believe in Jesus Christ. It could be their prejudicial attitudes. It could be their theologies. It could be their religiosity. It could be their own personal convictions. But they could, would not believe. So many times we want our friends to be saved, but we don't. And sadly, there are too many people in the world chasing miracles all over the place. They're all running around looking for miracles, thinks that's the answer. It's not. Miracles alone do not create a saving faith in God. You know what does. What does? Faith. From doing what? Reading the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. That's what causes faith. And that's where faith comes from. Hearing and reading the Word of God and letting it soak into you. Miracles alone don't do that. In spite of all the evidence that was in front of these people. In spite of all the evidence, they saw Jesus' works. They even heard his words. They would not believe. Jesus had revealed himself to them with great power, and they did not believe. 
They closed their eyes to the truth. They had heard the message given. They had seen the miracles, and yet they failed to believe. They would not believe. And in this passage, John is quoting Isaiah 53. He's quoting that famous Isaiah 53 where Isaiah prophesies about this very unbelief. Who has believed our report? Well, obviously not many people. And now this prophecy has been fulfilled. This prophecy has been fulfilled. And we realize that the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is one of the clearest prophecies of scriptures regarding the Messiah and the rejection of the Messiah and his substitutionary death. Isaiah makes a reference to this prophecy of rejection and the death of Messiah. He says, they won't believe it. They're not going to believe it. So you see prophecy being fulfilled. The arm of the Lord. Who's the arm of the Lord? Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord. He sits at his right hand. He's the strength. He's the one. He's the arm of the Lord. It had been revealed to them, just like Isaiah's prophecy says, but they would not believe. But then their unbelief progresses. There's a progression to their unbelief. It went from they would not. Look at verse 39. Therefore, they could not. They would not, and therefore they could not. They could not believe. At the beginning of the rejection of the signs that he was demonstrating, it was a matter of them choosing to believe or not to believe. But it came to a place where it was no longer a matter of choice. It became a matter of fact they could not believe. They had said once too often that the signs that came of Jesus, they had seen them, and now they were commonplace. Now they didn't strike a chord in their hearts, and now they were ignoring them. Even the undeniable evidence of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Imagine. Think about that. Four days in the grave. Four days in the grave. And he come out of the grave when Christ called him out. And they saw this. But they didn't change their position. In fact, they even got more, ang more angry at him. There was earlier evidence that they were getting close to this point. We read in Matthew 12 that Jesus brought a man to them who was possessed with the devil. He was blind and he was mute. And Jesus healed them of both of those things when he spoke. Many people started to believe that it was the Messiah, but the Pharisees jumped in and said, no, 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 he's doing this because he's the devil. He's doing this because he's the devil. And you've got to watch out. Jesus warned them that you're approaching a point of committing a sin which there's no forgiveness. You're coming close to committing a sin which there is no forgiveness. There is a sin that there is no forgiveness. One sin and one sin only. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's not accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not accepting Him. All other sins can be forgiven, according to the Bible, except that one sin. The sin for which there is no forgiveness is total rejection of Jesus Christ as Savior. He is the only provision God has made for us and our sin. To reject him means you're going to assume the responsibility for your own sin. You're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God and say, I take full responsibility. Let me know how that works out for you. Let me know when you stand before God and take responsibility for your own sin. And you can only reject him so much. And unfortunately, God will one day shut the door on that to where you could not believe. How about the days of Noah? Noah preached the gospel. Rain was coming in a place where it never rained. He was building a boat where there was no water. 
He was telling them that God's judgment was coming upon them for 100 years. 100 years. And then all of a sudden, God put them in the ark. And God closed the door. And it was over. Eight of them were saved. Eight were saved. God told Noah, the spirit will not always strive with man. The Spirit's not always going to strive with man. The day would come when God could no longer strive with man. He gathered Noah, his sons, Noah's wife, his sons and their wives, and brought them into the ark, and he closed the door. If God's Spirit is still tugging at your heart today to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, be ever thankful. Be ever thankful that you're being convicted. Be ever, ever thankful. But also take care that if you've not made a decision, do not put it off any longer because this could be the last time that God is calling you into repentance. It could be the last time that God is calling you repentance. Your heart could grow stone cold against the things of God and even before tomorrow morning. Therefore, you could not believe. Your eyes would be blinded to the truth because you completely disregard God. And the progression continues. The progression now continues. They would not believe, they could not believe, and now they cannot believe. They cannot believe. And John pushes this explanation a little further. Look at verse 40. Again, quoting from Isaiah, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they could see with their eyes, lest they could understand with their hearts, and turn so that I would heal them. Now he's speaking from Isaiah 6, verse 10. This is the case of God confining the, confirming the position that a person already took. I'll give you an example. You know the plagues in the Old Testament. You know the story of Moses going to Pharaoh. You know how Pharaoh continually turned down Moses. Well, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It said that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. And then it said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So it was a progression there too. Pharaoh would not believe. Pharaoh could not believe. And then God made it so he could not and will not believe. He hardened his heart. What the word means is God strengthening the position of Pharaoh in his heart. Because Pharaoh continued to make the decision that he wouldn't believe and let his people go. God firmed up that position in Pharaoh's heart. If you continually to close your eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ, there will come a day when God will confirm the, that position in your heart and you cannot see the truth. If you continually to harden your heart against Jesus Christ, there will come a day when God will make your heart stiff in the position that is in. You will not be able to see, you will not be able to believe or understand the things of God. It's an interesting progression that John makes here. An interesting progression that John points out here from would not to could not to cannot. When a person starts to resist the light of Jesus Christ, something begins to change in them, and they eventually come to a place where they cannot believe. Does anybody know what this is called? It's called judicial blindness. It's judicial blindness. In other words, God permits a blindness to come over the eyes of the people who don't take the truth seriously. It's a serious thing to treat God's truth lightly. And a person could miss out on the opportunity for eternal life. This, too, is a matter of life and death. This, too, is a matter of life and death. Reading from Isaiah 55, 6, the prophet says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There may not be another opportunity. Jesus clearly told these men, I'm not going to be around much longer. 
Time's running out. You need to make a decision. Remember what I said last week? We now live in what is known as the age of grace. The dispensation of grace, if you want to call it that. It started when Jesus ascended to heaven, and it will run until Jesus comes and meets us in the air in what we call the rapture of the church. Having a hard time with the rapture of the church? Then please, for me, later on, read 1 Corinthians 50 through 58. Read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And reconcile what's being said there about the rapture of the church. Those who believe in Jesus Christ being caught up into the air and meet Jesus in the air. This is not his second coming. It's different than a second coming. Read those verses. Read those verses. Right now, you're able to come to Jesus Christ on your own. You're able to come to Jesus Christ and be saved. You get tugged by the Holy Spirit. You get convicted. You can confess your sins and come to Jesus Christ. You can come to him now. But the age of grace will not last long. It's narrowing down even as we speak. Take a look at the world around us. Take a look what's happening in the United States itself. How much more will God strive with man simply by killing millions of babies every year? How longer will God strive with man? How much longer? We don't know. We don't know. The age of grace is fast approaching. The rapture of the church when Jesus comes and takes his bride, his church out, is imminent. It could happen at any day. Maybe it'll happen today. Maybe it'll happen in five seconds from now. But sadly, the same progression that we saw in Jesus' day takes place today. There are those who don't want to believe. There are those who are the would nots. They're standing firm on their choice, so they become the could nots. And should they not believe and stand in that choice forever, they're going to become the cannots. We see it every day. You talk to somebody about that, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. No, you know, well, their heart grows harder and harder every time they hear it. Their heart grows harder and harder every single time they hear it. And this is extremely dangerous days to be. As I told you in Matthew 12, in Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is speaking to them. He says, therefore I say to you, every sin... And blasphemy will forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. We are in that age to come, folks. We are in that age to come. The Holy Spirit is in the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as he convicts the world, you, he pulls you and draws you to the magnetic field of the cross. And it draws you in. And you see your sin. You see the reason for your sin. You see a way out. You see Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you confess and you're saved. You are a the Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.